This is Geeks Unleashed, episode 49. Now, if you had asked me for a torch, I would literally be looking for, like, something to set on fire. I, oh, I would yeah. not be looking for a flashlight. No, no, as a torch. Like... Hello, welcome to Geeks Unleashed. This is episode 49. I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. And each week we cover the news of the week and then we pick a couple of things to review that caught our fancy in TV, comics, movies and games. This week's reviews are The Time Before Time, issue one from Image Comics and the entire season of Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix. And spoiler warning, this is a review show. So if you have not had a chance to read Time Before Time or watch Jupiter's Legacy, you might want to pause this and come back later. Then at the very end, we'll give you a couple of recommendations of our own. We've got, we, we, we know that last week we gave you a lot. So we'll jump straight into things, but also we've got a bit of a surprise for you. Um, You're going to get two episodes this week, so we won't go on overly long. And uh, we've got a surprise for you as we'll be dropping our 50th episode, and we're going to drop it midweek. So you're kind of going to get two episodes to the price of one. 50? 50? Can you believe we've been doing this for 50 episodes? You know, I remember joking with you when we hit our 25th episode, but like, man, 50 50 episodes. (laughs) So we'll tell you what to expect in our our 50th episode at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. So jumping straight into news, because there's a lot of stuff that came out this week, and um, it's always good to uh, jump into it when there's a lot going on. (laughs) So the Venom trailer dropped to, I would say, more hilarious reactions than than positive. (laughs) So Sony dropped the first trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. It kind of looks like it's going to be the same movie as the first. I mean, they've got, I mean, there's some humor in there, and it probably would be a good popcorn film. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So <laughs> listen, the first Venom film was not good, but I enjoyed it immensely. Like I recognize that it was a not good film, but I enjoy watching it. So I'm uh, expecting more of the same from this one. <laughs> So we've got, um, oh, sorry, what's his name? I've actually gone blank. Um, Tom Tom Hardy or Woody Harrelson? No, 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 yeah, I've gone blank. Yeah, yeah, uh, sorry, cut this bit out completely. Um, (laughs) We've got, so Woody Harrison is going to be Seltzer's Cassidy, who is in other words known as Carnage. And he was teased at the end of the last, Venom movie, which you just said, um, you know, the, the first film was okay. Like, I went to the cinema and saw it with a couple of friends. We went in and it was a good popcorn thing. We went out a couple of beers first. We went and watched it. I think that's probably the way to watch this. Yes, have I definitely a had a few drinks before I went to watch Venom for sure. <laughs> have a couple yeah, that's of beers. the only was, way to do this. I watched the trailer for, for um, uh, the second Venom film and I watched it and I was like, I'd, I, when I watched the trailer, I thought I would watch this film. Like, that was my reaction. Oh, I'm going to watch it for sure. However, I also thought this looks like a pile of shit. Like, you know. <laughs> so, like, um, I have to say, though, I think that they did a good job with switching that wig that they had Woody, Woody Harrelson in. Because that first wig from the first movie, when they first showed him in that gel cell, I was like, dear God, why did you put Woody Harrelson in that ugly, hideous red hair? Um, and then I, I liked the scene... I liked it, but I want to say it was still terrible where Venom is kind of helping Eddie Brock make his breakfast mm-hmm. and then just throws down this pile of crap on a plate. And I know that they've done it because they're trying to be a little bit like Marvel with the humour and not, you know, and, and they're, tr- they're trying to be a bit like Marvel, but 
Sony don't know what they're doing. Sony, come on, man. Just <laughs> So I, I remember exchanging some private messages, not online with some people, where I said, I, I really hoped that the first Venom movie was going to bomb so that Sony then would say, look, Marvel, we need your help, like they did with Spider-Man. So I, I'm kind of hoping that Let There Be Carnage will bomb as well. I've got to be honest with you, that Sony turns around and says, look, we fu- we're fucked up. Yeah, like, no. <laughs> so, like, I, I think that's wishful thinking. I don't reckon it will bomb. I reckon it will do well again. Which I just I think it's going to be hard for any film to bomb in the next year, just because people have been so cooped up. Like people yeah. are going to go out to the movies, even if it's not really something they're interested in watching. Oh no, no, yeah. I think you're going to get a lot of people watching this part of shit, even though it's probably not going to deserve it. So yeah, and unfortunately, we'll get a Venom three. God knows what they're going to do with Venom three. <laughs> I think you know, if, if, I think they bring in, in Carnage too early, in my opinion. Connors who who would you have brought in instead? I don't know. Actually, it's a good question. Actually, like, what could Venom have? So the thing is, like, because I know you read Mar- the the comics, but I don't read Venom, so I don't know so who else you'd bring un- in. Unless, unless the other thing is because we just had Noel in the comics, like with um, Donny Cates. Now they wouldn't have probably had this all planned with the first Venom movie came out. The whole storyline with Donny Cates is um, Noel hadn't happened. Now, obviously, that's been a big thing. Could they eventually? Could they say? Oh, this is probably the only way I'd get on board with this is if they were to sow the seeds of Noel potentially for a next film, uh, which would be fairly amazing. However, Noel went up against all the Marvel superheroes, mm-hmm. and considering this is only a Venom movie, like, would it be realistic for Venom on his own to take down Noel? Not really. No. Um, so I, I personally would have probably held Carnage back for a third film, but considering they're doing things like Morbius and um, they've also got the other rights to all the other uh, Spider-Man villains, like, and they've talked about having a Black Cat movie and Silver Sable movie. Could you have maybe had a Venom movie with a couple of other Spider-Man villains? In? I don't know. Like, and then, and then maybe lead up to Carnage in the next film. So I, I don't know, like, you know, I don't really think Sony know what they're doing anyway, half the time. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I think if they had brought Null in, that would be sort of the way that you felt about Justice League, where it's just like you haven't earned this film at this stage yet. You haven't earned a film that's big enough to carry a villain like Null yet. I don't think, sorry, I don't mean like Null for the second film. I mean like building up to Null. But I think the the trouble is Venom, as we know, is a big part of the Marvel Universe. Mm. And trying to, Sony trying to, Sony's trying to hive out its own what do they call it? Marvel Universe of Characters or something. Sony's given its universe its own name or something. I can't remember. But like trying to hive out its own kind of universe, just purely based out of Spider-Man villains. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's a weird way of looking at Sony and desperately trying to hold on to stuff. They recognize that they can't manage Spider-Man. And I mean, we've got some of the best Spider-Man movies ever. Um, you know, I, I, I did, I did like the original, um, Oh yeah, Tobey oh, Maguire minus Spider-Man three. Yeah, yeah. The, fir- the first two Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire were brilliant. Like, I mean, but then what they did was in Spider-Man three they rushed it again because they wanted they shoved it they they pumped it with too many villains, Sandman and Venom and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, release dates for Venom are the fifteenth of September in the UK and the twenty fourth of September in the US. So taking a, a serious turn here, um, Tom Cruise. you may be familiar with the name, has returned his three Golden Globe Awards 
amid the Hollywood foreign press, the HFPA controversy that is kind of taken Hollywood by storm or like insider Hollywood by storm. Um, so the story behind that, Hollywood Foreign Press Association are the voting board that is responsible for the Golden Globe Awards. Um, last year, I believe it was, all of this kind of fallout started to come to light where their former president was uh, quoted as having said some very racist and kind of homophobic things. Uh, and their, surprisingly, their diversity and inclusion chief was also caught up in a scandal of saying some very inappropriate things. So the uh, sort of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association has been accused of um, not really giving a shit about diversity, which fair to say, so to speak, 86 members, not a single black person among them even though they're supposed to be representative of Hollywood and uh, supposed to be objective in their views on Hollywood films. It's not looking so good for them because of all of this controversy, HBO, Netflix, Warner Media Group, and even NBC, who carries the Golden Globe ceremony. NBC has canceled the Golden Globes uh, ceremony broadcast for 2022. And Netflix, HBO, and Warner Media Group, among a few, there are several others, have pulled their support for the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and will not be submitting any of their works for consideration with the Golden Globe Awards. So amid all of those things, Tom Cruise also returned his three awards. He won the uh, Best Actor for, well, what was it, Born on the Fourth of July? Uh, Best Actor for Jerry Maguire, and then a Best Supporting Actor for Magnolia. Put them in a box, boxed them up, dropped them in the mail, and sent them right back to the Golden Globes. Um, so Golden Globes are kind of a mess right now, and this is all coming on the heels of back in 2015 when um, April Rain started the Oscar So White hashtag to call out the lack of diversity behind the scenes. Um, the Oscars have... I, I don't want to say progressed, but they have sort of started to move in the right direction. Uh, looks like the Hollywood foreign press is lagging behind significantly. So that's just another one of the high profile things. I think it's going to hurt them more. Yes, it's it. It says a lot when an actor, especially an actor as deeply rooted in Hollywood as Tom Cruise does something like this, but it says a lot that the big names are pulling their money out of these campaigns as well. And for NBC to cancel the entire broadcast of the Golden Globes for, for 2022 says a lot. Mm. I, I think um, Golden Globes always think of Ricky Gervais and his speeches. He is the uh, worst well, Golden Globes says... host. I don't know why they always ask him to come back. Like, <laughs> You it's make hilarious. the audience uncomfortable. <laughs> I know, but that's what I love. Like, I love seeing their faces. Like, just oh my god! Like, you, you, was it Tom Hanks? Like, honestly, Tom Hanks's face is just priceless when he speaks. <laughs> like, I honestly, I actually there was. I had a whole night where I went on YouTube and I just watched every single Ricky Gervais Golden Globe <laughs> speech. And every year, he gets more and more comfortable destroying the celebrities like, yeah and um but also he slags off the foreign press as well like yeah and um and he constantly and like, i remember one of his jokes was um 
yeah so there wasn't enough um like um women directors uh etc and i think he said something along the lines of so don't worry i've had a word with the hollywood foreign press and uh we're going to go back to how it used to be and they're just not going to put any of you forward anymore like so <laughs> like, and, uh, like obviously he was saying that in jest but he but he like does destroy the hollywood foreign press every year yeah like he sags them off but they seem to invite him back which i but he's been saying for years stuff that is kind of coming out now like right. and it, right. it's got like I, I just find it like ricky trace probably sent at home going i've been saying this for like five years yeah why why have you only just realized now (laughs) like i I don't really rate ricky gervais too much in terms of an actor but in terms of his honesty he he's fairly brutal so yeah i mean um, it's it's kind of one of those things where like uh, we're at a point in time where it's like our awards like this even relevant anymore now when i lived in la and i actually would talk to people who were actors they always said that for them personally, their favorite awards were the SAG Awards, which is the uh, Screen Actors Guild Awards, because that the only people who can vote in the SAG Awards are actual SAG AFTRA members. Mm-hmm. So like your fellow actors are voting on these things, not just some unknown body of people in you know the Hollywood Foreign Press or whatever you want to call them or people that have been invited by the Academy to vote on these things um so a lot of the of course you know I don't know any like top tier grade a like Tom Cruise type actors but like the actors that I did know they were like it just it says a lot more if your peers think that you're good at this versus if some critic somewhere thinks that you're good at this I remember watching an episode of um the X-Files where they did um a whole episode that's focused on the cigarette smoking man. Do you remember that character in X Files or, or not? Yes. Um, so they did a whole episode dedicated to him, and they kind of um, showed like a bit of sort of flashbacky, and um, they they, show, they showed a scene where they said to him, "Who did he want to win the Oscars that year?" Like it was basically like he was part of some sort of Illuminati type thing, and they basically were like, "Yeah, okay." I, I think he said to one of them, "Oh, you choose" or something like that, and it, it was basically like you know that's how how to win the the oscars was just so fixed up yeah I, i've never been a particularly big fan of award shows because i do find that they have always got a, a tinge of, of fixing to them i find like and they're not they're not always necessarily reflective i find of what actually people think should win right and um and so if you look at like how uh, there's like pretty much I, t- I think there's been was it black panther was like one of the few superhero movies to to even get was I, am i right in that like, yeah you know, yeah um to even get a nomination so um and if you think about actually marvel and dc uh, sorry marvel and disney sorry have been kind of the the big winners of movies in the last 10 years of, of what fans want and, and the audience want mm-hmm. but but the Oscars and the Globes have just not been recognising what the public want. You know, it's, right. it's like this art house movie wins an award. And it's like, yeah, but no one gives yeah. a shit about this. 30 people movie. saw that movie versus yeah. the, you know, 150 million people that saw this movie. You know, it's, yeah. I, it's but it's also one of those things where the, I guess governing bodies like this just go to show how much bigger the gap has gotten between the consumers and the critics. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost like everybody wants everything to be in this super elite, super exclusive category, but entertainment shouldn't be exclusive, right? Yeah. Like entertainment should be accessible to everyone. So when, I mean, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that stuff like Commando or Predator should be winning Oscars. Like, I'm not saying that, <laughs> but I'm, I'm saying like, you can't discount the popularity that those kinds of grade A blockbuster action movies have mm-hmm. 
on on I guess on on the audience, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean is never going to win a Best Picture. It's won several other awards, but Pirates of the Caribbean was one of the first films to break that like 150 million opening weekend threshold. You know, it's h- how can you discount that and say that films like that don't matter? 150 million dollars on opening weekend like that matters yeah, but, but movies like that probably allow for these art house movies so yeah. like you know i don't i don't know exactly how the trickle down is but there must be like the, the you know there's always going to be a division of studios that because mm-hmm. they win big on a, a parts of the caribbean film can go right okay well now we've got the budget to pay for these smaller ones and take the risks because you know they don't mind pumping in I don't know, like two million. You know, you know, the horror films are normally mm-hmm. funded on a budget of like no more than two or three million. On nothing, yeah, like, yeah. So, but that because they've won big on some other movies, then they can go right. Okay, well, we've got two or three million to fund on, not necessarily a horror, but like a drama or something cheaper, which we know is more of a risk. And also, these smaller drama comedies don't make the money that Avengers makes. So, mm. like, you know, it's a gamble. But anyway, so anyway, moving on uh, to this, something I was really excited about. I'm obviously a 39-year-old man who was a child in the <laughs> 80s. And when I saw that He-Man is coming back, I was like, finally. But also, <laughs> but also the but the stills that they released were not shit. They were not like the new Thundercats uh, one that's come out, which looks I wouldn't even watch it. It looks awful. The new Thundercats one. It's um, you know, it's I'm not Ren and Stimpy, but it's that kind of just shit animation that I don't like. Uh. So he he man released ten stills, and it's from the same team that did Castlevania. It's coming out at the end of July. Uh, it's coming out on the twenty third of July. Uh, the man behind this is a man that I've got great faith in, Kevin Smith. I would assume most people have got faith in this man. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's going to be released in, in two parts. The first part is going to be five episodes, which will be one arc, all dropping on the same day on the Netflix platform. And the cast of this is Through also getting excited. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what, like, the animation for this looks good. However, the, the, uh, the actors, so we've got Mark Hamill as Skeletor, uh, Lena Hedy as Evelyn. Uh, one person I'm really excited about, obviously being a huge Buffy fan. When I say huge Buffy fan, I'm talking about the actors and the creators. <laughs> not, uh, not, not, necessarily... not that dude that produced it and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sarah Michelle Gellar is Tila, which I'm so excited that Sarah Michelle Gellar is, is in something like this. Chris Wood, who people may know from Supergirl, he is also married to Supergirl in real life. Chris Wood will be playing the He-Man himself uh, slash Adam. Uh, Tiffany Smith as Andra. I don't know who Andra is. I can't think um anyway so we've got but there's loads of others apparently are going to be in here as well like um these are the ones i'm uh, super excited about you like the voice casting world knows these names without question phil lamar tony todd Cree summer michael uh kevin michael richardson and kevin conroy are you kidding me oh yeah yeah and, uh, but alicia silverstone as well like mm-hmm. finally she's been given a job did they find her somewhere like you know <laughs> <laughs> but but no but i used to love alicia Silverstone. i mean i've got to be fair it's the one movie that i love her from like you know clueless but <laughs> um but it is great though to see these these big names coming out and i'm so excited for he man we'll definitely if we haven't put it I, I know that we've kind of got a little bit of a schedule going I don't think we haven't gotten that far in july yet yeah, but i'm but, sure but, he man's well, gonna be on our yeah, list i'm sure we'll be covering he man so come yeah. back and hear our thoughts in july. well no <laughs> stay with us don't come back yeah, but, yeah. So. stick around <laughs> Uh, so, again, keeping up with the child of the 80s theme, 
if you ever owned anything by Mattel or Hasbro, this is our season, man. This is our time to shine because we are getting a Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins trailer dropping tonight. Well, well, Sunday night uh, during the MTV Movie Awards, which I didn't even realize that the MTV Movie Awards were still a relevant thing that happened, but apparently they are. So... They're probably relevant to 16-year-olds, probably. Yeah, I think I just aged out of that demographic. Yeah. Um, so the first official trailer is going to be dropping very soon, but they did release some stills from the film. It's the first time we see Henry Golding uh, in character. We see a lot of other characters, too. Um, Andrew Koji, who's playing Tommy. Andrew Koji, by the way, fantastic in Warrior. Uh, if you have not watched that series, you definitely should. Um, Henry Golding, obviously, is Snake Eyes. Ursula Cabrera as Baroness. Haruka Abe as Akiko and Samara Weaving as Scarlet. So all of those character posters have been released. Um, I don't know, man. This film has a totally different vibe than the cheesy Marlon Wayans-led uh, G.I. Joe films we've gotten in the past like 10 years. Uh, not that there is anything wrong with those. I enjoyed them for what they were. Um, they were fun to watch. Not nothing to write home about. Um, I haven't seen those G.I. Joe films, but I, I still keep saying I'm going to watch them. But that Snake Eyes trailer, even I was like, I would watch this. Yeah. I, 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 are they connected? Do you know? Are they connected to the previous ones or is this a reboot? I don't think so. I think it's a reboot. Okay. I think I think this is a hard reboot. Okay. Probably a wise thing. I mean, yeah. from what I heard, I remember the second one was a mess and they kind of had to go back and add like the rock in and but it still didn't save it so yeah um, <laughs> he can't save everything <laughs> generally the rock can save a franchise but yeah gi yeah. joe so yeah i'm super excited plus i love henry golding he was he was really good in uh crazy rich asians but he's i'm excited to see like kick-ass action version of henry golding like so bring it on i'm i am 100 ready for snake eyes okay so also this week black widow drop some posters which i thought were pretty cool for the up and coming release which is coming out on the 9th of july and it's marvel are sort of touting this as the beginning of their phase four initiative and it's going to be as we know coming out across uh disney plus which is on their premium you've got to pay for it so you've got to pay for it one way or the other just hit the theaters man like support the theaters so you know if you've been double vaxxed and double masked and double belted and you know whatever <laughs> just just get out there and um honestly go and support your local theater chain and go and see this movie so anyway the the, the, uh, the posters have come out and i think these posters look amazing so scarlett hansen black widow florence Pugh. honestly that looks like i think she's going to be some sort of black widow mark ii I, you know so but you've got david harbour from Stranger Things, mm -hmm. and um, I, I actually didn't realize Rachel Wise was in this. I, I love Rachel Wise so much; she's fantastic. But the big thing they're going on about is obviously the Taskmaster. So his poster looks pretty cool, and they've deliberately left who he is off of it, so nobody knows who the Taskmaster is. Is he even a he? Well, I suppose so. Is it she? Yeah. Is it? Could it be a she? Well, see, that's the thing. Like they didn't draw boob armor, so everybody assumes that Taskmaster is a he, but he could be a she. Who knows? Maybe it's, um, maybe it's Tony Stark. Maybe he's back. So, yeah. <laughs> that, that's it's Steve also Rogers, the first time old man Steve Rogers. <laughs> Actually, no, because it's a flashback. It wouldn't be old man Steve Rogers. But anyway. But so, it's also yeah. the first time that they've released uh, the OT uh, Fogbinley uh, mm -hmm. on a character poster. So is he Taskmaster? 
That'd be clever. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's part of the thing. Mm. Who is Taskmaster? Yeah. That's a good actual twist there. They've all put all individual posters, but could Taskmaster be one of the characters? Yeah. My uh, money's on Rachel Vice. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, that's a good twist. That's a good twist. I don't think we've seen any scenes with Taskmaster and her character in the same sequence, in the trailer at the very least. I've tried to really stay away from these trailers. Yeah. Don't want to reveal too much. No, 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 man. Like, that's the trouble. Do you know what? Actually, I always criticize Netflix for this. If you go onto Netflix, you can't watch a Netflix trailer because they show you the whole thing in a trailer. Like, and Mm -hmm. that that has happened to me a few times. And now I just won't watch Netflix trailers. They literally show you the whole plot, like from start to finish. And you've seen the trailer and you're like, ah, okay. Well, Um, I'm good. Next. (laughs) Um, Anyway, we will wrap up our news of the week and we will move on to our first of two reviews. So we're going to take a, a single issue uh, of the first issue for Time Before Time, which came out from Image Comics this week. So me and Jasmine actually have been discussing more moving away from single issues in, in that podcast because having a single issue is like reviewing one scene from a movie and it does make it difficult to kind of really get a flavor for what actually is going on because we could read one issue and not particularly like it and then you read all six issues in one go and you're loving it mm-hmm. however i picked this up and i was like oh, we've got to review this we hadn't initially planned to review this but i was like no we've got to do it i really enjoyed this so it's written by declan i think it's shalfi um and um sorry if i've mispronounced your name uh rory mc Convile feel, Convile. Anyway, art is by Joe Palmer and Chris O'Halloran. I think I've got those ones right. Anyway, I have also seen it has been really well rated everywhere. iFanboy and Gem Mint have, have nominated this as their pick of the weeks. Uh, if you go to a website called Comic Book Roundup, they've given it a critic score of 8.7 and user score of 7.8, obviously out of 10. So overall, I think, you know, you've got a good indication this is going to be a good book. I'd seen that stuff before I already picked it up off the comic shelves. And to give you a summary, this book is a time travel book. If you had not figured that out before time before time, <laughs> probably don't pick it up. Right, anyway, so... We need to work on your context clues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... The book is set primarily in and around the year 2140, and it focuses on well, it focuses on a guy called Tatsu. Uh, Tatsu, yeah, Tatsu. Um, Tatsu sorry, and um, me just butchering names all the time. So, <laughs> however, he works for a, a criminal organization called the Syndicate, which that name has been used to death. Oh yeah, it's so lot. generic. Right, and um, but who cares about the name? So. Mission Impossible, use that name. <laughs> so anyway, so he works for the syndicate and there's a, there's a lot going on in this book and there's a lot. I think they do a good job throughout this first issue of kind of teasing a bit about him, teasing mm-hmm. a little bit about the syndicate and just the whole the whole world that they build in. And even, even right in the last couple of pages, they give you a brand new character and we'll come to her in a minute. They give you a brand new character out, completely out of the blue. So... The concept of this is that the syndicate had 10 time machines, which they had got from somewhere else. And now they were down to their final one because apparently they go faulty and stuff like that. And they run, they, they run, obviously the syndicate criminal organization have found a way to make money out of time travel. So if you're a criminal and you need to get 
get out of the way from the the you know the boys in blue for a, a nice little fee you can pay the syndicate and they will take you to a different time zone mm-hmm. um to to restart your life so i thought the opening couple of pages were pretty cool so it starts in 1987 when i was a little boy and this guy um is dropping off um this mum and their child to relocate and what i liked actually about the first couple of pages was that they were like um well, first of all, it was like actually almost like a proper witness protection type thing. He's like, mm-hmm. right, your new your new IDs on the side, you know, any kind of things you you know got they've got a little pack there, etc. You know, and then the boy goes, oh yeah, he goes, oh any questions? And the boy goes, yeah, what's the Wi-Fi password? <laughs> <laughs> In 1987, uh, good luck, yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, I didn't even know if dial-up had come out at that point. No, like, well, uh, not for normal people, and PCs well, no, are yeah. probably still the size of a freaking Mac truck. Yeah, and I remember um, in 1987, you probably get a computer the size of a room at that point. So, and he and then he was like, "Boy, Wi-Fi won't be around for about another 10, 10 plus years." And the boy goes like, "Ain't shit, his mum and stuff." <laughs> anyway, so then he zips off to two thousand and uh, two thousand one hundred and forty, and then you see sort of him. It lays the groundwork a little bit more for him being in debt. And then he gets, he goes off and has some beers with their mate, with his mate Oscar, which kind of leads to them actually sort of talking about their life and how they want to steal a pod. And they kind of start coming up with a plan, but then they go to work. And then the, the guy who's like kind of like the, the sort of the office manager, should we say, <laughs> warehouse manager. Yeah. Obviously, they must have, I don't know if they have job titles in criminal organizations, um, but he kind of splits them up and sends Oscar like on one pod. And and because um, oh, at this point, they've got two pods and, um, and and sends Oscar on one pod and then uh, Tatsuo off on another one. And I thought this was pretty cool. He goes into 1963 and then he starts chatting to the guy who's dropping off. And he was a bit like, Basically, this guy alludes to the point. Well, he doesn't allude. He comes no, out. He of says it. it he, yeah. He, yeah. He doesn't. Yeah, there's no being around the bush. He comes out of it. That he's a murderer. Yes. Um, and he's. And like, he had just but, run into a little trouble with the cops. No, dude, yeah, you're yeah. a freaking murderer. Like you should be <laughs> running into trouble with the cops. Yes. So I wondered where that was going to go, but then Tatsuo just goes back to the future, and um, then he comes up to the boss of the syndicate. Who, when I say he's the boss. He is the boss. However, his dad kind of runs the organization who you don't see in this issue. Mm-hmm. And, and then the boss sort of says, there's been some problems with Oscar when, when you were gone, he's come back, but go and see him at this nightclub. And then you sort of go off to the nightclub. And what I thought was pretty cool was they're kind of doing all this talking that Oscar's saying about all the stuff went wrong. Cause so he, so Oscar went on a separate mission to the, yes. to the future. When, when this was probably my favorite sequence in the book because like as he's talking about what he had been doing he he says numbers he was like yeah and then after five i did this and then after nine i did this and so in my head i'm like days so nine days you did this and five days you did this no no i mean and it, and it, like you say that it's good like all of this is sort of narr- well it's done almost yeah. like a narration style over uh-huh. over the skyline throughout the uh, night people dancing in the club and all yeah, that yeah. Shit. yeah so and it's good build up and then suddenly you turn the page and you get this full drop of actually oscar's like 95 years old or something like that sitting in like a some sort of floating wheelchair, a wheelchair with freaking yeah. oxygen tank taped to his face and um and tatsuo is like <sighs> You know, like so. Then he talks about time travel and going back to save it, which I wonder may happen. Like I'm still not completely dismissed that that wouldn't happen. Um, and then Tatsu basically tells him that he's taking this drug that when he falls asleep he'll die. And it's quite a sort of a, a sad moment. They sort of like you know have a hug and stuff like that. And, and 
yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of re- renewed Tatsu's uh, ambition to go and steal one of these pods. And um, it ends with a pretty cool moment because I, I was like so into this book. I was like, oh man, I wish I had like another five issues yeah. to read. Like, And I was like, they've done a really good build up here for me. Mm-hmm. And, and you see him go off to the pod and type in some details, uh, type it like, you know, presses a couple of numbers. And all of a sudden he's got a gun to the back of his head. Some, some girl... T- tells him to get in the pod they both jump in and it's all kind of like exciting you can imagine if it was like a tv show like oh, like you know it's all guns going off like, yeah. left, right, and because he's still trying to steal the pod like that was the yeah. plan that him and oscar had they wanted to steal the pod pick a time period and go there and hope that they could outrun the syndicate so he he is already going to be sent on the same mission that oscar was on because oscar didn't finish his mission no. and so the boss heigl is like, okay, well, we'll do it tomorrow morning. So Tatsuo goes to the place where the pod is and talks to the guards. And of course they all know him. He's like, hey, timeline's moved up. He wants me to go tonight. And nobody really questions him. Um, but then like all hell breaks loose when that woman shows up with the gun and then she shoots somebody and then all the other guys come running and now there's a shoot off. It's it's drama done well, actually. I know. And then the last two pages, like, you know, where so every every time it jumps between times, they do this good thing of putting the year like in, in big letters, taking up a whole panel. Yeah. But when they jump into the last two pages, the numbers are all skew if. So now you don't know where they are. Yeah. And you don't even see the pod. So I'm wondering if they've done a bit of time travel out pod somehow. I don't know, like what would happen. I think the pod got destroyed. Oh, and well. now they can't get back to oh well that changes that changes things about issue two and this is where reading issue one is kind of a bit difficult to really assess the whole thing because i liked the format of jumping around in time and seeing yeah. all these different characters so will that format be gone from issue two i don't know probably probably i would imagine and then he finds out this girl's an fbi agent and then it ends with to be continued so like, i kind of want to summarize my own thoughts on this oh obviously artwork etc obviously don't really need the artwork out i love the style of the artwork and i but i actually i think the artwork really suited this book because again it's not a superhero book this is something that i know time travel is not real but it's done as if like well i mean you never know <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but i i believe that time travel is not real and it's set though as if things could be real it's very real there's like realism in there so the right. artwork to me feels like it's very grounded. much suited to the concept and grounded yeah. grounded and much more realism. This is definitely not a cyberpunk book. Like y- you you hear the concept of time travel and you think, oh, you know, everybody's going to be, you know, we have chips and that's how you pay for everything. You don't have cards anymore, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But this is very, very recent, very current. It, it, like they're in 2140, but it feels like it could be right now. Anyway, like there's yeah, yeah. nothing special about this future, not in the way that people dress, not in the cities that they live in, nothing. Like there's nothing about it, obviously, other than the time travel that would make you think that this is the future. And I love the coloring because like the first page, they use a lot of purple and you think, okay, is this going to be it? And then you sort of turn, as you keep going throughout the book, the coloring is is different depending on what scene you're in, yeah. what year what year you're in. So like when he goes to 1963, they're pulling up a lot of yellows and browns, which mm-hmm. I can imagine was probably very 60s in terms of, well, that's it just made me feel like that anyway. When I was read, reading it, it was it made me feel like I was reading something in the 60s. Yeah. So so in terms of this book like i was like my mind instantly starts playing around with how would this work like i was like this would be a great tv show like Mm -hmm. you know you probably wouldn't have that whole moment um 
with Tatsuo and, and the FBI agent happening like probably to like the end of say season one you'd probably this whole first issue you can imagine would be like a whole season um but one of the things i was really thinking was i would love to see if they if, i don't know how this is an ongoing book but i would love to see some of the characters that they dropped off in the past like the murderer guy getting a whole issue to himself just and i know like sometimes they do do that in comics like um uh, i'm trying to think of of ones where like um they're more independents like DMZ or, um, you know, all those kind of vertigo books and things like that, where they'll just randomly go off and just focus on a, an individual character for an issue or a couple of mm-hmm. issues, uh, which I think are cool. Like, you know, where, you know, that guy got like one scene, but actually how cool would it be if say, I don't know, issue 12, they go back to the murderer guy and you get to see like what happens. Like, I mean, I don't, I'm not sadistic. I don't want to see him like butchering people, but like, it would be cool to see how he adjusted and maybe he's the one who gets hunted like because he's obviously thought he was brilliant in the future and he obviously mm-hmm. now has got to get familiar to six i don't know just kind of it would be a really cool format to play with i think there's a lot that they've done here in the first issue to make me excited about the future of this book yeah and, or what if there's... that kid that went back to 1987 becomes like bill gates or uh imagine like, or yeah. yeah the guy from apple well, sudden, yeah. The thing is, I guess you don't know like what what the repercussions will be. Like, how do you know you've not dropped him off? And they he creates a third user system rather than Apple and Windows. He create, you know, or, or Android. You know, he creates some fourth fourth uh, operating system. And mm-hmm. like, you know, pe- people just, you know, they're dropping people back, but they're not necessarily thinking about the repercussions. And yeah. that's something you see a lot in time travel is they talk about the repercussions. But in this book, no one seems to really care too much about the repercussions. It's like, how can we make money out of it? So right. it made me think of um, Looper a little bit. I've yeah. Looper. Like, yeah, yeah. It made me think of Looper a lot, this book. So I, I personally, I really love this book. And, and you said you, you did as well. So yeah. yeah. I think... Either like a Looper or Jumper. It's, it's yeah, very yeah, yeah. much along the lines of both of those. Uh, so we rated the art four out of five and the story 4.5 out of five. And we're, we're, we're all, well, I'm definitely intrigued to see more. Yeah, I think the concept is really interesting. Plus, bringing in that FBI agent at the very, like, literally the last two pages, it was kind of like, wait a minute, who, first of all, who the hell is she? Where did she, how did she get there? How did she know what was happening? And the, like you said, every, every time you switched time periods, it told you what time Mm. you were in. And now we have no idea because none of the numbers make sense. And so it's kind of like, where are we did you guys land where dinosaurs are hopefully you didn't go that far back but like you know that's what i started to think i was like oh can you imagine if they just like there's a t-rex around the corner i mean if that stuff like that happened then they're clearly gonna need someone to come get go get them um but yeah who knows what's happened you know they leave it wide open wide open it's, it's a really great cliffhanger because literally like you're gonna find out where they are in the next issue but like it's it's a really good cliffhanger I was so excited by this book. I'm definitely all in for this. And and just seeing the praise it's got online, I can imagine if you're the creators of this book, it must be nice to see your first issue being this well received. So mm. um yeah, no, I'm keen to I'm keen to read more. Like I it's a shame sometimes when these books don't come out twice a month. Just to, yeah. to wait to wait 30 days for issue two is gonna be a painful ride. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I wanna know how this cliffhanger's gonna go. <laughs> I, so. All right, so moving on to our next review. If Ghostbeam hadn't stepped in, Falconer would have killed that asshole. Well, maybe he deserved it. Do you really believe that? This world's not like it used to be, Grace. Don't tell me you don't see it. Of course I see it, Fitz. My son took a life. I mean, he turned against everything we taught him, and he took a life. 
Jupiter's Legacy Season 1 on Netflix. It is based on characters created by Mark Mylar and Frank Wiley, um, developed for TV by Stephen Knight. It stars Josh Duhamel, Ben Daniels, Leslie Bibb, Andrew Horton, Elena Comparis, Mike Wade, and Matt Latner. Um, we we kind of figured the best way to to talk about this is just to jump straight into what we liked and what we didn't like about the series. Um, it's because it's eight episodes, and we're not going to go through the entire plot from start to finish. Yeah. Um, and and the timestamps on the episodes are all over the place. Like some episodes are thirty six minutes, and some episodes are fifty six minutes. So it's it's all over. Um, this this series was kind of confusing. Uh, not just the TV series, but also trying to figure out what order you read the comics in. If you wanted to go back and read the comics to kind of give you a little bit more insight. Um, uh, I'm just the the thing that stood out to me the most about this series, and I'm I'm gonna sound, I don't know, call it hypocritical if you want, but like. The, the people who say, oh, there's too much politics. And okay, I'm not going to say that much, but this series is very preachy. Um, very, it's very heavy handed on the, there is only one path to goodness. And that path to goodness is what we have to live by, regardless of what the consequences are. Um, and that theme pops up in at the very beginning. And it's, it's, a theme that we see throughout the entire series. Um, I think probably what I liked the most about this series is that you get to kind of watch the characters who bought into this decide for themselves whether or not they still believe it. Um, so the background is <clears throat> back in the 20s, right before the Great Recession or Black Tuesday, there is a family. Um, Sheldon is the youngest brother. Walter is the oldest brother. And their dad all have uh, a big stake in the steel industry. Now, that's his back in the time during Rockefeller and Carnegie when all of those names were the guys that were shaping the American future. So this company, they carved out <clears throat> a spot that they probably took some business away from the Carnegies and the Rockefellers. So... Then the uh, stock market crash happens. Well, when the crash happens, we find out that daddy has been using the workers' pensions at the steel factory to play the stocks. And when everything fell, uh, so goes all of the workers' futures. Well, of course, that's one of many stories of what happened back in 1929. And as a result of the crash, daddy jumps off of a building in front of his youngest son. So now we have this fractured family, a younger son who was shielded from the actual business that was happening. Um, and the younger son is played by Josh Duhamel. The older brother is played by uh, Ben Daniels. So they have to come to a reckoning of, you're the youngest and you, you think you know what's going on. You have no idea what dad and I were doing when we were running this company. And so for most of the series, even as we get to the present day, um, when, when these characters are well over 100 years old, um, it's, it's still a fight between brothers where it's kind of like, you were the one that had everything. You were the one that dad gave you everything and let you get away with whatever you wanted to get away with. And I was the brother that had to be responsible and I didn't get to enjoy myself the way that you did. So there's this dichotomy of uh, 
you know, the golden child versus the the ox that bore the brunt of the of the load. So that that theme kind of goes throughout the whole series. Now, another thing I liked, a lot of times with superhero stuff, you you buy into this is a superhero thing. Like, sure, you can fly and you have laser vision. I have no idea how you can fly or why you have laser vision, but there it is. So with this series, what they do is they use flashbacks a lot. I mean, I think they the half the series is probably told through flashbacks. But in the flashbacks, it's not really... Yes, it's a little bit of character development, but to me, the flashbacks are telling the story of how these people got superpowers, which is not something that you're used to seeing, right? You you see it in films like Chronicles, like uh, where these kids kind of stumble upon this thing and then this thing gives them power. Uh, whereas in Jupiter's Legacy, it is, <laughs> it's almost like a video game. It's It's like a giant quest across oceans, across continents, for them to come into these powers. The thing is, if you told the story of how the heroes get their powers, how the hell do we have all these villains? How did the villains get their powers? You, you told me how the superheroes get their powers and you've played it off like, these are the original six superheroes, okay? So if we're buying it into superheroes started with you six people, first of all, how is it that in the present day, a hundred years later, we have all of these kids in a second generation that have powers, but there's only six of you. And of the six of you, two of you are married and two of you have two kids. Like, ha- ha- where do all these other superheroes come from? Where-, where do they come from? There's a whole league of teenage superheroes, but like, it doesn't explain how these kids get their, it's, it's so bizarre to me. Like you put so much emphasis on how these adults get their superpowers, how these six people become like the original six. And yet in the, in the present day, a hundred years later, it's like, oh, there's a hundred superheroes. How? how did everybody else go on this quest and survive the same way that these six did? It doesn't make any uh, sense I, to I, me. I think talking about the 1920s and 1930s setting first, I enjoyed that much more than the present yes, day setting. Yes, me too. I, I was much more into the intrigue of the journey to the island and yeah. how we got there. And once we got there, they hardly explored the island. Right. Was hard, you know, to be honest, it was a scene that probably was done over half an episode, the, the whole island thing, where we felt sets, you know, the whole setup to get to this island took you know, the whole season to get there. And there the is an island. entire character in that six that we only meet in the, right in the, before in they the, get to the island. And yeah, it's like, exactly, yeah. Who the fuck is this guy? How did yeah. he come in at the second to last episode of the season and we're supposed to treat him as an equal partner of one of the six when we literally just met this dude? I honestly, I mean, to be honest, this is where I, I, I pretty much didn't enjoy anything in the present. Like, I... I, I hated their kids. I'm just going to come out and say that. Their daughter was super annoying. Oh, okay, she has a drug problem. Boo-hoo. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, but, mean, like... Her and the son, I couldn't care less. Like, I could not have cared less about that second trouble, generation of heroes. I think the trouble that this show, what it struggled with, is too many characters. Now, in the past, it was quite clear who the main characters were. And it was, and they kind of allowed the stuff in the past to be a little bit more fleshed out. But in the present, they were just, it was, it was almost trying to be too showy, too CGI, too many, you know, trying to show all these wonderful superheroes. And, and maybe they were trying to, differentiate the differences between the past and the future but i mean i i didn't really care about the future i i was watching 
I mean, maybe we would care about it if, you know, maybe if we'd have had a season one of the past, like just yes, the build, this, up, build up to the island or something like that. If ever but, there was a time to split this up, this was the series to do that with because yeah. it feels completely disjointed because not not only because we're talking, it, I mean, we're talking a hundred years, well, almost a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. But the char- the characters that we met in the in nineteen twenty nine almost unrecognizable in 2021 like what what the hell happened to get you from this idealistic naive person in 1929 to now you're this cynical hard ass in 2021 like how did we get here and they, they talk about say in the future as well they talk about which and this annoyed me a little bit because i was thinking if the if this is going to be the thing for jupiter's legacy if each season is going to do a flashback because they talk about like oh like the stuff that happened in the 60s so i mean matt lanter matt matt lanter's character sky fox who betray, they talk about how they he betrays them in the 60s and takes the president a hostage or vice president hostage or whatever and i was like oh why are you saying this i was like yeah like why why have you just told us this like that, that would have been a really cool season and thing to have happened like to have shown us like you know i, I was thinking i would much rather say i don't know each season kind of show them getting to the present like and building around these six and you could have i mean i wouldn't say like each season to be a different decade it could be mm-hmm. that like you know season one is the origin story and how and how they're uh, received in the past you know because that you know you don't often see stuff in the 1920s and 30s of superheroes i know in dc they, right. they try to concentrate on the justice society but even the justice society hasn't had really the screen time that uh, unless it's an animated film of, of how it's been received so actually it, was, it would be pretty cool to have a tv show set in the 1920s and 30s right um uh, you know in america as well long before you know even things like the civil rights movement when they've got a black superhero as well in this in this group and, uh, uh, and that also, is like, not the case in the comic is he's, it not he's a white guy in the comic they're all white oh, is it? oh right yeah. okay well so i yeah. so earlier i said it's, it's really hard to keep track of how to jump into the series if you wanted to read the comics they it, it the the netflix show seems to go off of the chronological order that the com i mean the release order that the comics were released in whereas the labeling for the comic series is off and so the labeling goes in chronological order so when prepping for this i read the wrong issue and i read jupiter's legacy volume one which actually is Jupiter's Circle and not Jupiter's Legacy. Anyway, it's very, very confusing. So in that issue, it, the whole thing takes place in like the 50s, 60s. So that's the decade in, in the issue, that the volume that I read. And they go into so much detail and background story about the characters. And I like I texted Mark and I was like, uh, this, this has nothing to do with the TV show. Like nothing at all, nothing whatsoever to do with the TV show. Um, but But even back then, it's like, I don't know what you guys are doing. One of the one of the cool things about this series is, like you said, you don't see too many things about heroes in the 1920s. Period. Just because everybody usually focuses on the stock market crash or how desolate everything was at that time, or World War World War One gearing up. But like this, I thought that the cool thing about the going back in time is they bring in actual people. So in in the volume that I read, Catherine Hepburn is in it, J. Edgar Hoover is in it i mean they're calling people by name and it's it's really interesting to see this sort of superhero background set with actual 
characters from history versus you know oh it was the president at the time like well some no-name president that we assume that you're talking about richard nixon or whoever mm-hmm. um so for them to actually use like fbi director uh, j edgar hoover and famous actress Catherine hepburn i thought that was that was pretty interesting but that goes to show that like you mark i found the past far far more compelling than the present the, I think the, the tr- present the, day think, stuff is so disjointed. I mean, the future, I think the trouble, because I, I watched this with my wife and we both said, the trouble with the show is it's they've jammed too many characters in it and made yes. it too confusing. Yes. And and also the, the, the like you'll get, I was found I was much more invested in the, in the past where actually that stuff, because it had fewer characters, it was a lot more compelling and a lot more interesting. And the origin story was a lot But that's more where all the mystery was in the past. Yeah, the mystery, yeah, the mystery was there. So I would much more rather have seen, you know, the build-up to them getting powers. And, okay, because if they'd have just done the build-up and not had the future stuff, I don't think you could have had a whole season building up to them getting the powers in the final episode because yeah. that would have felt too long. But maybe, like, I don't know, by, by episode two or three, they get their powers. And then you see the rest of the season about how... They, what they do with their powers in the 20s and 30s that would be cool to me and also like the redemption story of the sons with their father's business and that could have been a nice ending to it mm-hmm. and then i would have much rather seen we not get to the present until like i don't know how long the show's going to go on for but like you know maybe season five or something like that you know get, get let's 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 earn getting there and actually care about these characters mm-hmm. to then see the fallout i think i i, I don't know it feels to me like you know they're trying to put too much in there to get everybody hooked on seeing these CGI battles. And don't get me wrong, that that massive battle with um, uh, Black Star episode one with Black Star with the Black mm-hmm. Star's clone, I thought that was amazing. So like the end of episode one when it ends with this huge fight with Black Star's clone, just like, like eight that, that... eight heroes fighting this one guy. Yeah, it was. You know, it was an amazing sequence. So I don't mm. want to knock it. So the first two episodes, I thought actually between the jumps back and forwards were handled fairly well. I found it more from episodes three all the way to episode six really lulled, and maybe that was the problem. Maybe it was just a kind of a little bit dragged on. And then season, and then episode seven and eight, I enjoyed. But however, episode eight was weird because it was like thirty six minutes long. I did think, why didn't you just make episode seven and eight one episode, just make it an hour and a half long? I, I don't know. Like, it just seems a bit weird to me. Yeah, I, know I think so. Like you said, they stuffed too many people in it, and and that's the thing. Like as the series went on, with every episode, it was kind of like wait so who are you again and how are you connected to the and how did you get here like I just kept having more and more questions and I wasn't getting answers to any of the questions that I had and if like you said if you if, you, if we're going to break this up and and you're trying to kind of split it the entire story arc with the daughter Chloe and with the uh, the son of Star Fox Hutch that entire sequence, that whole thing could have been saved for the second season because that that seems like a very important connection that is probably going to go on much longer. And it's just like, why did you rush? Why did you rush into that? Plus you're not, by rushing into it, you're not giving the characters enough time to develop. You're not giving the audience enough time to get attached to these people. Plus Mm -hmm. Chloe up to this point has literally done nothing to actually be likable. So you have no empathy for her for what she's going through because she's such a dick about everything. Yeah, and it's just I, kind I, of like, I don't care about her. And then they, they also, so they present this ongoing mystery in the future of um, Black Star and Black Star's clone. And 
And it's really weird, the twist that happens at the end, because I called it about three episodes before it happened. And I, I, I actually said to my wife, I'll bet you any money. And I don't want to say it in case, like, I know we've said no spoilers at the beginning of the episode, but in case you haven't watched it, there's a bit of a twist of who the, the villain is of season one. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I like said like three episodes earlier, I bet you any money he is behind it. Yeah. And I said, he, I said, he looks like a villain. Yes, I, that's exactly. I, as soon as he came on screen in the 20s, I was like, this guy's a bad guy. He has yeah, to be. Yeah. He has the look. So I, I won't say anymore. But anyway, overall, I didn't enjoy this show. Um, I'm not sure about season two for me. And because of the disjointedness of the graphic novels, apparently a lot of people have said that the graphic novels are really good. But they've said if you read them volume three, then volume one, then volume two, then volume four, it works. Yeah, so which I did people... not know that going into yeah. it. So I bought and read the wrong one. Um, yeah. I I did not hate it. However, and, and personally- You just intensely disliked it. Well, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't intense either. Like it just, <laughs> I, it's like indifference, which is almost worse, right? Um, so like, I, I've always maintained that I am a fan of a really good villain. And the series lacks that until well, because, because you get to the last mysterious. couple of episodes. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's, but, I, but that's a problem. Like any kind of, especially in the superhero, I mean, you need a good bad guy in, in any genre, but especially in the superhero genre, you need a good villain. Otherwise your heroes aren't, are, can't be heroic if they're not fighting anything worth fighting. Um, so then playing up Blackstar, the entire first eight episodes of the season, it was just kind of like, Black Star's in prison already. Like, what the hell? Like, he's in. Pr- he is already captured. You have already defeated him. What? How am I supposed to get behind him as the villain when he literally sits on his bed and reads for eight I, episodes? I, to be honest, see, the whole thing about the Black Star's clone thing. I thought, would they really dive into this as much as they did, like rebuilding his mind? And then, no. I just thought, I can't see them really doing that. Like, that I can't make see. Sense. I can't see them like rebuilding his mind and then going in there. And I just, uh, it felt too elaborate. And to be honest, at one point, I even forgot that was even going on because this mm-hmm. is too much going on. There was basically, you had sort of three kind of main plots going on. You had like, you know, the daughter, the drug problem and her dating Star Fox's son and, and them all being villains and druggies and all that kind of stuff. And then you had the past stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And then you also had this storyline with, with um, Blackstar and his clone. And I, I, I'll be honest, I, I did lose track and there was a there was too much going on it could have been almost i don't know two or three seasons worth of stuff yeah and again i wouldn't have wanted it to be stretched out by any means like with filler episodes if you if you'd have spread it out a little bit more but i don't know for me this show didn't work and it was just too much going on it was too chaotic it was it almost i think it just the overall show just felt really disjointed and i think when we were prepping as well we we realized that the development um who ran the show the developer and the showrunner sorry had, had uh, was it steven uh denied didn't you he, he just sort of left didn't he or get, he got replaced midway through as yeah well. i got replaced so, um, yeah, or so, he left i don't know what the what the real deal so, is there but, that's, but... That, but that says a lot as well about a show and why it felt disjointed changing showrunners mid mid show mid season is, is not a good idea at all so they probably kept what he did and then they got you know it's a bit like what we had with the bloody bloody snyder cut you know like it's you know maybe if we look at the denight cut we might end up with a better season (laughs) which like i didn't realize that Stephen denight was attached to this in the in the first place and it could be because he left before the series actually aired but 
when I first saw his name pop up on screen, when uh, the first episode, I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to love this series because I pretty much love anything Stephen Knight does. Like Spartacus is still one of my favorite series of all time, of all time. It's fantastic. But yeah, no, this, there's too much going on. There, there is a lot of story to tell. And, and I'm not saying that they have a lack of content. There's too much happening in this first season. You don't have enough time to get attached to the characters. And the, the, the gap between what happened in the 20s versus what is happening now is too big. Because again, the characters are unrecognizable. Walter mm-hmm. from 1920 to 19 to 2021, not the same person. He's a much more subdued, much nicer person, it seems, now than he was back then. Sheldon seems to have gone like to the opposite extreme, where he was this kind of sweet, naive guy at the very beginning. And then by the time 2021 comes around, he's basically like a, a dictatorial hard ass, where he's like, no, it has to be this way, period. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It has to be like this. And it's just kind of like, how did we get here? So would you you're, be interested you're telling in this? Me, no. Would you be interested in season two? <laughs> no. Like, would you like? Would you watch it like out of any curiosity to see? Like, I mean, say say you. I mean, there's always shit to watch, but like, if you had nothing to watch, would you watch it or no? You're done, done, done. I mean, if someone says, "Wow, in season two they fix X, Y, and Z," then maybe I would give it a shot. After some other people have already put in the legwork to tell me whether or not they think it's good. Do you know what annoys uh, but, me is it's okay. kind of put me off reading the comics. However, a lot of people online did say they're much better than the TV show. However, if you read it in the yeah. release I read order, out of oh, order. Sorry, in the, sorry, the release order rather than the chronological order. So I, I, I don't get why with this coming out, why they'd want to play around with the with the order. Like, you know, because they, re, they relabeled them for the Netflix show. But yeah. I don't get why they would do that because, like you say, volume one was like set in the 50s, which this yeah. show wasn't set in the 50s at all. Right. So. I think, though, the some of the changes that they made to the series are better. Like, the, the series is more diverse. They change up the setting. And so, like, uh, Fitz, who is the black guy in the series, Fitz is a white guy in the comics, um, so they've, they've updated it to a certain degree, which, which meant that they have to change a lot of the comic story. Um, I don't really think you lose much by changing that and diversifying the group of superheroes doesn't really change much either, but yeah, yeah. no, I'm just not, so me, it me, didn't me grab me. Wife, I was going to say, me and my wife, we watched it all this week and we both kept saying we weren't enjoying it, but we just wanted to get to the end, which is not yeah. good position for as, a, as an audience member say i just want to yeah. watch it just so i, I watched it just so i could f- see what was happening in the past but That's pretty much like every time about. the yeah. present came on, i was on my phone i would be like playing on my phone when it was the present and then i would pay attention when they were in the past the past stuff i really loved me like, too I, me too I, really I now i would watch an entire second season if it was just the past i would yeah. i would do that but again i because they took the time to explain how the six got their powers and then just had no explanation as to where the fuck all these kids in the future have well, these powers. I have from. a theory. I do have a theory about it, like which I didn't explain in season one. So all the people on the boat, you saw like, like kind of the flash of light hitting them and you saw some symbols going on their faces. Now uh-huh. I have wondered whether or not those people also got some sort of powers. Like okay. that's what I, okay. I uh, it's just, I just wondered, maybe, maybe. Like, it has to be something else, right? Because yeah. 
because the the way that this the the series sets it up is that only people that are part of the bloodlines are the people that have the powers but so, again there's only six of them so there's no way that just six of them could have this many kids yeah no well not yeah not they'd have to be really populating the earth like, yeah hundred years although maybe you never know i mean it has been 100 years if they kept having kids yeah, every but like, one of the characters oh. was gay so so he ain't having no um, kids yeah, that's only well, I guess one of the six then, but I, I don't, I don't know. Well, then maybe he could still decided to go populate. Like, so basically, uh, in the series, we meet uh Chloe and Brandon, who are the son of uh Sheldon and ah Leslie Bibb's character, I can't remember her name. Um, so that's two kids. Walter has a kid, that's three kids. Star Fox has a kid, that's four kids. Uh, and then Fitz has a, a kid, so shit. five kids. That's five kids from the original six members. So where I like, it just it kills me. Like, where the hell did also, all these they other mu- kids? They come must from? have had. They must have had other kids. Like, you can't say they all waited until two thousand, the year two thousand, yes. having kids. Like, uh, know, unless been... the kids are aging slower. But I mean, I don't understand. It, it gets, it gets, it doesn't make sense to me how you explain one aspect of superhero powers and then you leave the rest of it to chance. Like, yeah. I know, I know. I'm not overly looking forward to a season two, but a kind of part of me also now wants to watch it just so they can kind of dig themselves out of the hole that was season one. So no. I will let someone um, else watch it and then I will read their comments about it. So <laughs> or listen to their podcast about it. So. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's leave it there for Jupiter's Exit. I think we clearly did enjoy the show. It was a, it was to be honest, if I summarize in one word, a mess. So, yeah, mess. Well, that's perfect. Know, that's, two, that's two words, two words, but a mess. Uh we rated it 2.5 out of five, and if all honesty, that's fairly generous. So Right, we're going to start to wrap up the episode, and as we always do, we move into recommendations, and I know you're going to say, oh, I did this last week, however, I only did seasons one to two, (laughs) so I'm going to be recommending again Line of Duty, so last week I talked about seasons one and two. That's cheating, I'm just saying, that's cheating. I have managed to now work my way through seasons three, four, and five, and I am now halfway through season six. It is incredibly addictive, I'll be honest with you, I am probably struggling with going to bed at any reasonable time trying to make my way through this show. (laughs) Uh, so, So if you watch it season one i'll be honest is not very good however you need to watch that because they do refer back to season one every now and again and season two onwards oh it's so good like you know and they've got some good people in this show as well like you know like fanny fanny newton is in um actually season four and you know there's some good well-known people to, to like so they basically have a rotating cast system so they kind of have your three main characters because it's an anti-corruption police squad so every time they're investigated a new bunch of people they obviously introduce a new lot of characters every season however there's this ongoing storyline which kind of more becomes apparent from season four so seasons one to three it's kind of trickled a little bit and then right when season four happens you kind of start to get it and i'm halfway through season six and even now i'm like thinking when we finish i'm going to go go and put it back on i want desperate <laughs> to finish season six i want to know who the big villain is so i've managed to stay away from all the spoilers online so it, honestly watch line of duty it's a bbc tv show here in the uk just i fully recommend next week you'll hear something else from me <laughs> i'm just excited that mark is actually binging something because mark usually does not binge um uh, all right so my recommendation this week no surprise to anyone that knows me is mass effect legendary edition 
Um, I was not um, privy to this series back in 2007 when the very first Mass Effect game released. Uh, so I was gifted the trilogy from a friend and this was in 2012. And ever since then, I have been hooked. Uh, I know that the Legendary Edition just came out like literally a few days ago. Uh, but I'm super excited. I'm I'm 80% done with the first game, first playthrough of the first game. Uh, they've changed a lot of stuff. I would love to talk more about Mass Effect. And I actually found some people that will let me talk about it. So um, instead of gushing more here, you can check me out on the Good Game Guys podcast sometime soon. We'll be talking about Mass Effect with those guys. Um, but yeah, that's my recommendation. If you've never played it, this is the perfect time to jump in because you can get all three games for the price of one. So 60 bucks gets you all three games. You get all the DLCs except one, but the one that you don't get is not a big deal. It's from the first game. Uh, it's it's definitely worth it. Three games for 60 bucks. You can't beat it. One of the best trilogies of video games of all time. I've seen a lot of people hyping about it online, to be honest. So Love it. Love I- it. I'm intrigued, um, but I've got quite a few games sitting on my two-play pile. <laughs> so I will wait. I'm not going to go and get another game when I've already got three from Christmas that I still haven't got around to playing yet. So, uh, well, I have started one of them, but it's just been a busy year. I can't believe it's already, like, almost June. So. I know. Anyway, so um, our next episode is going to be dropping in a few days' time. So if you're listening to this... Look at us uh, go. We are bringing you twice the action this week because to celebrate our 50th episode can you believe it 50 episodes will 50. be dropping 50th episode wow. will be dropping yeah i know um so this is our 49th episode and 50th episode will be dropping um midweek and that episode we are changing the format as we invited back a guest and that guest is derek flynn who came on with us last year uh, for our book club episode of fifa vendetta so you can go and listen to that if you want to prep yourself and yeah, it, we've, we've, we're looking forward to you listening to our conversation with Derek. Yeah. And as a reminder, we did start a second podcast series where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. Our sixth late to the party book club was Akira volume one by Katsuhiro Otomo. And that episode came out at the end of April. This month we are covering They Call This Enemy by George Takei, Justin Isinger, and Steve Scott. You can also follow us online on Geeks Unleashed. Uh, we are everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn. We are everywhere. So give us a five-star review and tell your geeky friends. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.